Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Foundry Church Podcast. We upload a new message here every week, so if you want to be notified every time a new one is posted, make sure to subscribe. You can also keep up with us on our Facebook page where you can find the video messages and more. With that said, here's the next part in our series, Short and Sweet. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard this, but uh, have you ever heard the phrase, if the shoe fits? Anyone? Yeah, a few of us have heard that. Um, there's this, this phrase out there, and one of the ways I've noticed it is uh, we, after the short and sweet event, we didn't know how many to plan for, so we had a number of hundreds of full-size candy bars left. And you know, you're looking at me like, oh, that's what happened. That's rude. Um, so uh, that we had a lot of them in this, in this steel tub in the back, and um, I know Justin is a man who loves candy. Justin loves candy. He's always snooping in the fridge. Lisa sets out a bag of cookie crumbs for him. It's awesome. And um, Justin's my friend, and we, we cleared this story. But um, just trying to help him with his sugar addiction, I got him a five-pound tub of, um, or jar, it's better to call it a jar, of peanut butter M&Ms, which is literally it's, yeah, it, he's addicted. And um, he's like, you know, no, as he's taking the lid off. I'm like, that protest seems hollow, Justin. And then he peeled the lid off, took a few out, opens his drawer and drops them in, like the, the whole thing. And there was like, it was like a spot was made for him. That, whether I bought them or not, they were going to end up there. And, um, and then behind it was at least a dozen of the missing candy bars, right? And I'm like, Justin! For the love of type 2 diabetes, what are you doing, you know? So as we noticed over the weeks, the, the, the number of candy bars was shrinking. And, you know, it's like, hey, have you seen the candy bars? And he's like, oh, what? Wrap it up. I'm like, oh, how, Eric, how could you, right? And I'm like, man, if the shoe fits, if the shoe fits, candy hoarder, wear it, Right? The reality is we live evidence. Our lives are leaving a wake behind us of living evidence of this reality. When we say if the shoe fits, it's because there's a reputation. There's a reputation that is, has followed you and now kind of in ways precedes you. You live evidence. Evidence is actually the fruit of the life we lived. It's our resume. It might be our epitaph. It is who we are. We live evidence. And you can sum it up in saying, well, if the shoe fits. Today we enter into our very last teaching on short and sweet. We're going to use Cinderella as a springboard to go forward. Because, I mean, how much better could it be than if the shoe fits with Cinderella, right? And you look at this and you, under, you understand and remember that sometimes if the shoe fits, it actually can be a very positive thing. But when we look at this story, there are some phrases in my mind that I can't forget, primarily because I heard them read over and over in our home by Erica to our children. And one of them is this. She was so kind, Cinderella was, she was so kind and so gentle that even the mice and the birds were her friends. I remember hearing that over and over. Cinderella, this young girl who had lost her mother at a young age, her father who just doted on her had remarried a woman with two daughters and then he died. And this stepmother became a wicked and cruel taskmaster. Anastasia and Drizelia, her stepsisters, became, well, they took everything that was once hers for themselves and they left her nothing. Young Ella would spend her life washing 
cooking and cleaning. Back in a day where they didn't have gas furnaces or stoves, you would have to stoke the fires, boil the water, and do everything yourself, and then you would have to clean out the fire pits, thus giving her her name, Cinder Ella. It was a cruel name that was given to her of a girl who was once treated like a princess but now covered in the soot and ashes of a life she never wanted. These cruel sisters, Anastasia and Drizelia, made her a stranger in her own home. She had nothing that she could call her home. Yet, Yet through all this, Cinderella remained kind. She was kind. And then the story takes a turn, right? Bippity boppity boo. The fairy godmother shows up. And a pumpkin is turned into a carriage. Rags and shards of a dress are turned into a beautiful gown. The mice become the horses, the coachmen, the different things. And all of a sudden you have this girl who is headed off to the ball. Even though these cruel people had tried to rob her of the opportunity, she walks in, her and the prince make eye contact, they dance all night, but she had kind of forgotten the words of the fairy godmother. At the stroke of midnight, everything will be as it once was. And she finds herself at the first clang of the bell going, I'm about to become who I was. And she runs out of the palace, a shoe falls off, but she gets in the carriage somewhere just beyond the gates of the palace. The final stroke of midnight hits. The carriage melts back into the form of a pumpkin. The mice are now, the horses are now the mice, and everybody is who they were, and she is left in rags. The king's horsemen chasing after this beautiful princess run right by her, not knowing that she's the very girl. The selfish stepmother and stepsisters try to rob her of the opportunity to have true love and a life worth living, but wonder of wonders when the shoe fits and her life is transformed. She's brought to a different place. Wouldn't it be nice if in some way the the selfish, inhospitable people of this world were only in fairy tales, but we know for a fact by our own experience that's not the case. There are selfish, inhospitable, cruel people in this world. We run into them more than we do the Cinderella's of the world, and it was even true in the day of the Apostle John. We find ourselves today in 3 John, the third epistle letter of John to the churches. And we will work our way through it. Now, John 3 John is an interesting book because what it does is it tells us how to handle cruel, selfish, inhospitable people who only want to be first. The Apostle John's church that he planted in Asia, Asia Minor, is in trouble. Diotrephes has taken over. And he was once someone who was seen as having a good leadership about him. But once given the reins of the church, when John moved on, to plant other churches, when that happened, what happens is it went to his head, and he became a cruel and selfish taskmaster. The power had gone to his head, and he refused to take in any missionaries or gospel travelers who came his way. He refused to welcome people. If you remember last week when Pastor Matt was talking, he talked about how missionaries back in this day would come to a town, they would be given a place to sleep, they'd be given food, and when they left, they'd be given maybe some money and some food to push the gospel into new regions. If they weren't hospitable in a church, the people who had come there wouldn't receive the food they need, the, the finances and the, the extra food to their next stop, and they would be stranded. It would stall the gospel message. Diotrephes got a letter from John and didn't even listen. And so we find ourselves that this troubling situation emerges 
and we find ourselves looking in as John writes a letter to a man named Gaius. Now, Gaius is a member. He's part of the rank-and-file Christian membership of the church. And John talks directly to him and treats him as the leader. And he commends him for holding fast to the truth and doing what God loves. He commends him for the way they treat one another and love one another. And he commends him for leading by example. And he encourages them to love and support the missionaries and believers who gave themselves to the ministry of expanding the gospel. If you have your Bibles, find 3 John. If not, it'll be on the screen as I read. Please follow along with me. To the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and the sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on, send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Make sure they have food and provisions and enough to get them to take the gospel forward. It was for the sake of the name, Jesus, that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, he loves to come first. He would not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing. That's that basic thing when I get home, right? Spreading, he's spreading malicious nonsense about us. But not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers, and he stops those who want to welcome and be hospitable, and he actually kicks them out of the church if they do it. Dear friend, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Most likely, Demetrius is the man who carried the letter, and John is commending him to them and saying, you can trust this guy. He's a man of outstanding character. I have so much to write to you, John says, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to you. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by names, by name. Brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers, brothers and sisters is the term that John uses. It's actually a Greek term called Adelphoi. And Adelphoi, you can kind of hear Philadelphia in that, that, that city of brotherly love. Adelphoi, that, that term in there is the, the plural for brothers and sisters, the blood relationship that goes on there. And we know this, that in Christianity, we share a bond that makes us family. We are blood brothers and sisters, one and all under the blood of Christ, amen? So we live under the blood covenant of Christ, and we are brothers and sisters. And John is pointing this out in this letter. He makes very clear to call them their brothers and sisters. Even though you don't know them, they are still your family in the covenant of Christ. We who profess Christ as our Savior have brothers and sisters, and we therefore have a responsibility regarding the way we treat each other. This is actually an internal conversation today. 
almost every week, you will hear me driving you out to go reach people for Christ and be a living witness for Christ. But we need to understand the brother and sister relationship within this place means this. We have a loyalty to one another that cannot be broken like brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that sometimes we don't scrap and fight. Like when I think back to my brother Lincoln and I, man, we got with it, right? We got, we fought it out all the time. But here's the thing. Even though we fought and had some turmoil, if anyone laid a hand on me, Lincoln would be over there and he would put the wood to him. It was awesome. When I went to high school, uh, we moved to San Diego. My brother was a larger, they would have called him, they all called him a redneck because we were from Colorado and and just, you know, he wore cowboy boots, and it was awesome. And he was this bigger dude, and there's me, squirrely little freshman with a big mouth, you know, alligator mouth, canary butt, just not big enough to back anything up. And um, that's what my dad always said about me. You got an alligator mouth, but you can't back it up. Thanks, Dad. Um, but uh, my brother, Lincoln, would defend me, and he was a senior, I was a freshman, and this one dude was kind of giving me a hard time at one of the lunch stands one day, and he pushed me, and I was, I'll be honest, I was terrified. My brother shook that dude till his molars clapped. It was awesome. He didn't punch him. He didn't smack him. He just, and I was like, get him, bite him on the head. You know, I just loved it because in the end, he was my brother, and he was going to stand up and fight for me even though there were times we deeply disagreed. We loved one another, and here's the reality. You are brothers and sisters one to another. There should be a deep abiding love that is deeper than our like for one another. We don't all have to like each other, but there should be a love for one another that meets us at the brother-sister level. John 13, the gospel of John 13, 35 says this. It's the words of Jesus. By this thing, they will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. What is the thing? It is the love of Christ It is the love we have for the people in Christ. It is the love we have for the church that tells people we are his followers. The first and loudest testimony of the believer is our love for one another. So we have to let a warning to all the diatrophies in this community, all of them within our church, at the different campuses, all these people who are with us who think in some way this is a place to get status, to get influence, to be more important, maybe to look down on other people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. I will tell you this, there are diatrophies in this church. And one of the sad realities is there's times where I have to fight it too. But I think diatrophies is a lot like Anastasia and Drizelia. He's like the stepbrother who wasn't named in the story of Cinderella. He takes and gets everything for himself. He loves to be first, and he will harm people for no good reason, simply out of spite. He is the stepbrother to the fictional sisters, but he is very real. And when someone was brought into his family in the church that John had started, he rejected them. He wouldn't let them in. And on top of it, he would kick people out of the church if they were hospitable to other people. He was a tyrant. And he was terrible. This diatrophies. Well, new people to him were like Cinderella's. They were to be mocked. They were to be excluded. They were to be gossiped about and mistreated, kept on the fringe and laughed at, alone and isolated while the group stays safe. And that can never be true of us. Diotrephes, who loves to be 
first. Oh, those kind of people, right? We all know those kind of people who love to be first, and they don't care who they have to step on to get in first place. They, they, it doesn't matter to them. So what we have to do is understand we cannot be like that. We will not tolerate that within the church because our first and loudest witness is the way we love and care for one another here. Diotrephes ethic is not how we live. Rather, out of verse 11, we take this. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but anyone who does what is, um, what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So I want to talk to you real quick at different levels in this church. First, I want to talk to you who are students, and I mean this very clearly, and I don't want you to think I'm mincing words. There are over 500 students in this church. I think we can change the culture of West Michigan with that many students if they would do one thing, love one another. Now, you may think, okay, but how how does that even work? Like, why would we make that work? I'm not saying you have to make everybody your bestie and hang out all the time and be in a, you know, a group chat and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you should not have people in this church who are in your grade, in your schools, and you walk by them every day and show no sign of fellow, like, like friendship or relationship. You should be looking up and being like, hey, how you doing? Even if you don't know your na- their name, they're your brother and sister in Christ, and they deserve a nod of attention from you. My brother in high school didn't hang out with me, and the reasons were very clear as to why, right? But here's the thing. Whenever I walked by him, he'd call me by my nickname. What's up, Akers? What up, Link? And we'd just keep going. Or he'd just look at me like, what's up? And I was like, oh, man, it's my brother. He's the senior. This is awesome. And then he'd be running the other way. Like, stop. You're weird, you know. But when he would stop and be like, hey, what's up? It meant the world to me. It meant the world to me. There are students in your schools who would, it would mean the world to them if you just look at them and be like, how you doing? Don't know your name, but I know we go to the same church. How's it going? Hey. Because you have a familial bond. You have a bond that is greater than your social awkwardness. You got to get over yourself. And here's the thing. Remember how I told you when that guy picked on me, Lincoln showed up? When you see a person from this church, a student having a hard time, and you're one of the kings or queens of the campus, you are to step in on their behalf and be like, hey, knock it off. Protect them. If you see them having a hard time, you may be like, I couldn't do this. You can be like, are you okay? I know we don't know each other, but we go to church together. Is everything all right? You're like, I could never be that awkward. Then it comes back to being a diatrophies. It's all about you. And in the end, family is all about one another. We reach out and we worry about others more than we do ourselves. Students, I'm talking to you when I say this. Get out of your bubble and get into your family. Love your family. You don't have to hang out with everyone, but you can care about one another and make a small effort to show the familial bond. Don't gossip about other students in your youth group and in your church family. This is devastating because if somebody sat and roasted like, see that kid, he's in my youth group, such a doorknob, and like rip him to shreds and be like, by the way, you want to come to youth group? Sure, should I bring my own shiv? You know? How do we, what are we going to do to people there? Just punch holes in them? This sounds great. Why would you ever go to something like that? Don't gossip about one another. Don't, don't tear each other up. Be loyal. Have a loyalty that goes beyond your own awkwardness and stage of life. To which all the adults are like, amen, just wait. 
We're next. I'm not saying you're next. I'm saying we are next. Do you, and I'm talking to adults now, do you exclude people from your own circles because things have gotten really nice? I'm in a group. It's kind of nice. I have my church family. I sit with my friends, and I don't really want to open it up because it would be uncomfortable, and that would just be weird, and we've really found community here. I would say to you, open the doors. John would say to you, open the doors. Get beyond yourself. Don't gossip about other members of the church. Yeah, people are weird. So are our families. That's why the analogy works weird. Every family is a little bit janky in its own way, right? It's, every family is a little dysfunctional in its own way. But here's the thing. So are we. But if we live in this culture that tears down hurting people, it'll be pretty interesting how quickly people leave. But if we're in a culture that it receives people as Christ would receive them, and we're open to new relationships, we're not snuggled into our own groups, worried only about what makes us happy, we're actually always open to opening the group and being willing to grieve the loss of a healthy group dynamic. When someone new comes in, you've got to kind of find a way to fold them in. You, you have to be open to this. It is not a country club. You are to be evangelistic in your relationships with one another. I don't know if you've ever seen someone who's trying to find a place in a social setting and people look away because they're awkward. It makes it all the more painful for them. I want to tell you as a church, love those people who are here, adults. Open your lives, your homes, and your relationships to them and let them benefit from the goodness of God in this community by being a place that they're safe. Because I'll tell you this, you may think in high school, one day when I get older, I'm going to be a nice person. If you don't work at it, you're not going to be. Because I've been in plenty of workplaces where people tear each other down all the time. Can you imagine being at your workplace and you're like, you're talking about that guy over there, like there's Eric. Oh my gosh. He goes to the foundry with me. That dude is just, he's dumb as a bag of hammers. Like, I don't even know why, I, it's just embarrassing when I see him at church. Hey, do you want to go this Sunday? Sure. Never, right? They will know you are Christians by your love for one another. They will know that you follow Christ, not by the way you rip down everything that's wrong with them, but by the way you own them and love them as yourself. Our first and most primary witness to Christ being our Lord and Savior is the way we love those he loved and gave his life to redeem. They will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. Don't gossip about each other. Don't exclude one another. Don't think you're better than one another. So let me ask this. What could be said of you? What could be said of you? What could be said of me in this? Remember that phrase in Cinderella? She was so nice and so kind that even the mice and the birds were her friend. Such lowly creatures like if a mouse came up and it was like, hey, Eric, how you doing? Da, da, da. I'm like, hey, check it out. Eat this peanut butter on the whack. I don't want mice talking to me or in my home. They're not my friends, right? I am not Cinderella in that. Like when a bird flies into my office window, dunk, like, oh, in your face, little beaks all off center. I'm like, get out of here. You know? I'm just not, I don't like birds and mice. Not a big deal for me, right? But think of it, her kindness was so extravagant to people that she, even the mice and the birds knew she was safe. Small, lowly creatures that no one else would ever befriend. She took them in. And she was close with them. What would be said of you? Are you kind and loving to the small and lowly people in your life? Are you someone? Well, wouldn't it be great if someone said, 
hey, who's that? Oh, I know that guy. He goes to my church. Man, you want to see that guy. The way he loves his wife, his kids, or his friends, or his small group, the way he just serves and cares for people. Like if I broke down in West Virginia at midnight, I would call him because I know he would come. That dude is the most nice, kind, and loving guy there is. And you ought to see it because it's just amazing to watch him. He's the nicest guy. Wouldn't that be great if that's what was said of you? Instead of, that dude cut me off four times at the roundabout, and it was intentional. He saw the yield sign. He wanted to be first at Captain Sunday. Oh, can't stand that guy. Right? What could be said of you? Ladies, wouldn't it be great if someone said, she is just kind. Kindness flows out of her like a fountain. She's so kind that the the maintenance guy who we think possibly keeps people in freezers, he gives her a birthday card. He knows her. He talks to her every day. And she baked him cupcakes for his birthday. And it was really weird because we're like, is she weird or is he weird? What's happening? She's just so kind that it makes us uncomfortable. Not that shallow, good, great to see you, but someone who actually cares and listens, finds out someone's birthday and celebrates it for them because no one else would. She's so kind, and I just want to be her friend because I know there I would be safe. Man, wouldn't that sound good if you were described like that. But the worst is, quite often we hear is, tell her nothing unless you want it on Zealand Informed. Because she will tear you apart, right? Guys, ladies, we have to own the fact that what is said of us is antithetical to what John's saying. It's antithetical to what Jesus said. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. If you want to love the world beyond these walls, you better learn to love the people within them. Doesn't mean you always have to like each other, but it means we have to love each other. So my question comes, does the shoe fit? Does the shoe fit? Is your reputation one of uh, destruction, or does the shoe fit like it did for Cinderella, effortlessly into a life, a new life, something that the intrinsic kindness of her life, she was a perfect fit, right? Here's what I would do. I would say John is not the church, only church father saying this. Jesus is not the only person saying this. The apostle Paul says it in Romans 12, 13 to 20. Check this out. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice. Practice. Anybody remember Allen Iverson? Anybody think of that? We're in the playoffs. You're talking about practice? Why would Paul say practice hospitality? This is why. Because the people of God, if they practice hospitality, if they are living hospitality and they are welcoming each other into their lives and sharing life together and doing groups and doing different things and they are bound to one another in relationship and that familial bond, guess what happens when you practice well? You play better. And when a traveling missionary or someone shows up at your doorstep, what happens? It is perfectly natural to practice hospitality to them as well as you've done to your community. Share with the Lord's people in need and practice hospitality. Don't get out of the habit of being hospitable. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Has anybody here ever been to a sixth grade orchestra concert? You know where this is going. And if you're in sixth grade orchestra, I want to encourage you. It gets better. Stick with it. 
Um, but the reality is you can take like this incredible cello and give them like the bow. I think they play, play it with a bow. Hunters are like, really? No, different bow, right? But they take the cello and the bow and it's like beautiful instrument like, you know, black walnuts. Like, and you're like, oh, oh, is there a cow giving birth to a truck somewhere? Because that is rough. Like, who's banging cats together out there? And you go to the concert, and everybody's like, and the conductor's like, dance on high. And you're like, oh, no. Somewhere Bach is in a grave, just, you know. It's killing him. But here's the thing. You practice to learn in harmony. If you stay at it, eventually you learn your part. And there are people killing a cello in sixth grade orchestra one day, right now, that will one day sit in the London Philharmonic and make magic come out of that same thing. Why? Because they learn to live in harmony with one another. And we become a living chorus of praise to God by the way we love one another. Not the way we get in first, the way we love one another. We learn to live in harmony together, knowing we're not perfect, but if we play our parts, everything comes together for the glory of God. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Get over yourself, is what Paul's saying. You're not that great. You needed Jesus as much as they did. You're on level ground, no matter your social standing. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, I will avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you may think, well, that is the meanest thing ever. Here's what is being said, and that's kind of a poetic phrase. When you heap coals on someone's head in this context, what it's saying is, they won't be able to get off their mind the undeserved kindness you showed them. And they'll just be like, why was he so nice to me? Oh, I'm his enemy, right? Why would he do that to me? I can't get over that. So here's the challenge. And I want you to take this. You are called to love one another in spite of who we are. We all suffer in the same miserable human condition. But the reality is this. You are called to love one another. So never justify what God forbids. Never justify not loving one another, your brother and sister in Christ. Never find a justification in your heart and in your mind because it does not hold in the heart and mind of Christ. Do not justify what God forbids. God calls us to love and to let our love be seen first in how we love one another because as we love one another, people will say, that place I could go to. That place I could be. They are as messed up as I am. They're just not tearing each other apart for it. This should be a place that is like a magnet. It should be drawing people in. And the singular draw of the church is this. They will know that you are my disciples and you follow me, Jesus said, by your love for one another. Make no mistake, for you and for me there is one calling. Love each other as Christ loved you. Lord Jesus Christ. We are your church and we love you. Not just in word, but we want to love you in deed, in the way we live. And you have given us 
your body around us, the body of Christ, the church, to love. May our love for you be seen in the grace we extend to other people, in their failures and their misgivings. May, may the love we have for you be seen in the way we love one another. And in so doing, we would become a place where people come and they are loved in spite of their brokenness because we are loved in spite of our brokenness. And we are made whole because of your goodness. So come, Lord Jesus, today and pour into us the kind of love we need to extend, a supernatural love that comes from you. God, may, we, may it be true of us when people look at, that, at the Foundry Church and they would say, they love each other. Weird as they may be, that church loves one another. May that be the evidence we live in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand. Sing with me. One of the ways I've found in my own life that um, it's just a new phenomenon for me, because there's a lot of people in the church, and I'll be like at Meyer or something. I'll be, you know, getting food or whatever you do, and I'm going through, and I'll see somebody smile at me, and I'm like, oh, oh gosh, do they go to the church? I lock up. I'm just like, I just, such a doorknob. So I've, I've decided, I'm like, I, I'm going to be super friendly. And there's been a lot of times where I'm like, how are you? And a lady's like, married, sir, and walk off. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I, like, call Erica. I'm like, oh, my word. And she's just like, oh, that's awesome. Click. What is happening? It's awkward. It's awkward sometimes. But one of the things that um, I think is so important for the church is when you bump into each other and you look familiar, say hi. Say hi. Enjoy being part of such a big family. You know, if we bump into each other in the store and I look nervous and confused, just go with it. My wife will attest. That's the way I look in life, right? And she, just say hi. Say your name. Hey, I go to the foundry and introduce yourself. I'm like, so do I. I'm Eric. And it'll be awesome and awkward. We get to be friends in this community. Get your heads up. Your family is everywhere, and the way you love them will be to the world a declaration of your love for Christ. So I encourage you, get over being awkward. Get over being afraid of how you'll be perceived. It's worse than you thought when it goes wrong, and it's so much better than you imagined when you find out how many people God has added to your life. Go and be people who love one another even when it's tough. Even when it's awkward, go out there, greet one another. Hey, do I go to church with you? No. Would you like to go to church with me? What's the worst that can come of that? They come to church. How great would it be if we have a series of professions of faith over the next year because people were awkwardly misunderstood for being in the foundry, so you invited them anyway? Like, I guess I have to go now with that weirdo from the frozen food aisle. How great would that be? Go be the family of God. If you need prayer for anything, it's part of what family's for. We'd love to meet with you right up here on the, on the front. We've got prayer stations. People will be there. They'd love to pray with you. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is time for the church to leave the building. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. If you're interested in preparing for the next part, what you can do is you can go onto our website and find our weekly devotions. Being in God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged by this message and can't wait for you to join us again next week.